You're listening to a Southside Baptist Church podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Those who follow Jesus will experience suffering. Let me say that again. Those who follow Jesus will, that's not maybe, that's a definite, will experience suffering for the sake of their faith. And he, meaning Jesus, is the model of how to endure that. You see, from a, from a running definition, suffering is the state of undergoing pain, I mean, of undergoing pain, distress, or hardship. And God, once again, God wants to do something with us, even in the midst of all of our pains, our sufferings, all the things that keep, that, that keep us up at night and drive us crazy, God still wants to take us and make us something beautiful. You see, in the passage that we just read, Jesus is having a hard time with his disciples. You see, Jesus, once again, for the third time, tells his disciples, in fact, he's been slowly revealing over time, but he's sharing this fact that he's going to suffer and he's going to die. Now, when you hear this news, you would think that the disciples would kind of feel, you know, would, would, would probably feel very fearful, very anxious, and wanting to, you know, find some way to comfort Jesus, right? Well, they're not. In fact, they're doing something you would probably wouldn't even think of them doing. As Jesus is laying out in, this, in these verses that, listen, I'm going to be beat, I'm going to be spit, I'm going to be mocked, I'm going to go to death, but I'm going to rise again. They're like, so which one of us is going to take your place when you're gone? <laughs> right? And so what happens is this. We, 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 know that, we know that as Jesus pulled him aside, he wants to teach him a lesson. And so what he does is he decides that, even though early he talked about this idea of being handed over to um, being handed over to the authorities, right? He makes it really clear who those authorities would be: the, pre- the chief priests and the scribes. But then Jesus and the disciples, with their actions, trying to, he's trying to help them understand that. Listen, guys, I'm going to go through some suffering, right? I'm going to go through some suffering, meaning Jesus, and he wants them to understand that. Listen, if they are going to follow him, they they're going to have to partake of suffering too. Now the thing is, they don't realize that yet or at least they're going to start to realize very soon that it's going to cost them a little bit more than, they, than it should. But for right now, what Jesus is doing is walking them through actually a very repetitive lesson. As you read these verses, you probably noticed that last time I preached, the verses were very similar to what I said from that last time. But here's the thing. Jesus is now walking them along. And you would think that the disciples learning from Jesus would take a lesson and be like, okay, commit to memory. Got it, right? But of course, we as humans, we as people who make mistakes, who have our own we have our own ideals and things about what things should be. Jesus has to pull us, pull us aside over and over again and remind us of what the end goal of this thing is, right? And that is him accomplishing the will of the Father on behalf, I mean, on the, uh, excuse me, accomplishing the will of the Father so that he is able to not only save them from their sins, but put them in a place to share the love of God with everyone who they come in contact with. Amen? And so what we want to learn from these verses more than anything is as we see this idea of suffering, we're going to learn how to suffer, all right? How to suffer. You go, I don't think there was a manual for how to suffer. Well, this is, this is just a short little, this is just a short sermonette on how to suffer, right? There's, there's so much more I could say about suffering that it could probably take 11 points, maybe 20, whatever it could be, but I boiled it down to two. That means it's going to be really good, okay? All right, so here's what I want to throw out here first. Look at verse 32 and 33. You see, once again, Jesus going along the road. They, the people are all, I mean, the, um, the disciples are basically being told once again that, hey, you're, he's going to fall, I mean, that he's going to be given, given into the hands of the chief scribes and the Pharisees, right? 
and then he says, I'm going to be delivered up and die. And I'm going to die. Well, one of the first things we learn about suffering, according to Jesus, and how to suffer, is we have to suffer in courage. We have to suffer in courage. You see, Jesus talks about all this before. Remember, he says, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, right? Well, this is going to happen. Now, notice when Jesus said, hey, if I go that way, I'm going to die. He didn't say I'm going this way. He said, listen, I'm about to go up here and things are going to happen, right? So Jesus was describing what was going to happen, but then he was all the, but he, but all the time he was heading toward his demise. And so Jesus suffered in courage. You see, of course, in a very layman terms definition, courage is the ability to do something that frightens one. In the, English, in the English dictionary, okay? You see, many of us are asking about, when we, when we think about our lives, we think about this idea of living a great life, we usually find ourselves saying we want fulfilling lives that are stress-free, drama-free, and minus all the negativity, right? That's what we like to say, right? But although that may be a valuable thought, for many of us as believers, we can't, we really won't attain that until on this side of heaven. You see, we may have seasons in our lives where we're more, pe- more peaceful than others, but we will, we will find ourselves in some struggles with either family, friends, co-workers, peers, and others. And to, think, and to think about it can be all draining, right? This idea that maybe our lives can't be exactly drama-free as we want it to be, right? But now, the thing is, we need to understand that how do we, we need to decide that how we continue with the issues of life, even when we're tired, confused, conflicted, or frustrated, we have to act with courage. You see, believers must be committed to growing in faith through prayer, through worship, through reading of their Bibles, and through, I mean, and through sharing God's Word. These are things that help us to grow character. But John Maxwell tells us this. It tells us that although we need these things to grow character, courage makes character possible. Did everybody catch that? It makes character possible. Courage makes character possible. And sometimes that means making decisions and living with the consequences. So what does this all mean? You're going to have to find yourself in a place where you exercise courage. Now, there are some good things about, there's some good things when we find out we we exercise courage. The positives of it is this. Number one, we have the strength to build our faith. We find ourselves in places where, as we're moving along in the faith, God gives us this boldness, this courage to be able to face the day, even though, keep in mind, courage is not necessarily the absence of fear, all right? I want to make sure that's clear. Courage is not necessarily the absence of fear. It's the ideal that you're able to overcome your fear to accomplish what God wants you to do. Not only that, the positive of acting with courage is it helps us to determine, to com- it gives us a determination to complete the will of God. As we see God working in our lives, as we see God changing, changing our minds and our hearts and moving us, ref- making us more of a reflection of his son Jesus, we find ourselves in a place where now we see where God is trying to get us. We become more laser focused. We have a passion. What are you passionate about? You know, the Bible gives us all these clues that, listen, you know, the things that we're passionate about come out of our hearts, right? So the very things that we find that we're, that we're really interested in, they, are, they, come out the out, they come out the overflow of our hearts. And so we have to find ourselves being passionate about wanting to complete God's will in our life. And that means abstaining from sin. 
That means learning how to, that means learning how to deal with situations contrary to what we've been taught. It means learning how to get along with other people regardless of who they are and what they bring to the table. You see, but no, but now, although there are positives to acting with courage, there are also things that can keep us from acting with courage. And this is where most of us fall. You see, for many of us, fear. Fear is one of the biggest indicators that keep us from following, following God's will. You see, people have anxieties. What will they think of me? What will happen? I've never, been, I've never done this before. What am I going to do? How am I going to get there? I don't see the end of the tunnel. I'm usually the person who plans out everything and sees all the steps. I don't have a next step. What am I going to do? Some of us are caught up in fear. Some of us have those anxieties about our ideals and expectations and responsibilities. Some of us are worried about being embarrassed. Some of us are even worried about experiencing shame. But we have to overcome all these to be able to act with courage. You see, when we, when we have fear of consequences, we have to learn to make decisions and we have to learn to live with those. And sometimes it doesn't mean that we start with the biggest decision in all of our lives. Sometimes it means starting with even the little things in our days and working up to those things that are way more important. When it comes to this idea of anxieties, we have to be realistic about our ideals. We have to be realistic about our expectations, about our responsibilities. Many times our anxieties come from the fact that we are not in control of this situation. And so we have to find ourselves in a place where we're realistic about what are we supposed to be doing and what are my real responsibilities versus what other people's responsibilities are. We also find ourselves in embarrassment. But here's the thing. We have to learn that when it comes to embarrassment and the ideal of acting with courage, we have to lay down our pride. Many of the, many of the problems that we face are because we don't want to lay, lay aside our pride for whatever reason. Think about this. In Romans 1.16, right, it tells us that it says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, right? Now, here's the thing. Why would Paul use, out of all the words he could use there, shame, right? You know what? Because shame is something that keeps us from witnessing. Shame is something that keeps us from um, sharing our ideals. Shame is the thing that keeps us from openly testifying about the goodness of God. And you can t and listen, you want to figure out how, if you're ashamed of God, listen, you know, listen, you want to you start a ride in, in a public place, start mentioning the name Jesus. People start thinking you're crazy anyway, right? You have to be careful. You have to know, guys, that you have to learn to be unashamed of God and mentioning him. Not only that, to give you a little bit of something, something to encourage you, I want to give you this verse. In Isaiah 57, I mean, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7, here's what it, how it reads. It says, the Lord God will help me, therefore I shall not be confounded. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. Now, in this verse, Isaiah is laying out this idea, listen, hey, do I, am I afraid? Yes, I am. Do I have problems? Yes, I do. But now I need to trust in the Lord that he will help me to deal with the problems that I have. Now, notice he says, I, he basically says this. He says, I will let the Lord help me, therefore I will, I will not be confounded, therefore I will set my face like flint. So what he's saying is, listen, I can have confidence in God knowing that God is, although God has given me these talents, this ability and a purpose, it is he who helps me to complete it. So I can stand with confidence before anybody and know that, hey, it's not me who's helping really to complete this. This is God's work and God is helping me to complete it. Amen? Are y'all still with me? Sure. Okay. All right. 
All right, now, with all that being, with all that being said about courage, now we're going to look at my, my second point. In verse 30, as we move on in the, in the chapter, we see that Jesus, once again, has already talked to, um, he's already talked to James, I mean, um, to the disciples about his impending demise. Well, then in verse 34, James and John basically in a bold, in a very bold move, once again, bring up this idea that, hey, listen, I want to sit, we want to sit on your left and your right. Now, for those of you, for those of you who may have heard this story in a different, in a different context, if you go back over to Matthew chapter um, 20, you'll see that there's a, there's a small little detail of Mark that's left out um, that's in Matthew. And it's the fact that they get into this, they're still, remember, the, now I want to make sure I get this context right, okay? James and John, along with the other disciples, have been arguing along the road, especially back in Mark chapter 9 in my last sermon, about who was the greatest. Everybody remember that? Who was the greatest, all right? Well, you would think that that, argu- that argument has died down, that convo has shifted, right? But no, it has not. And so now they're in Mark chapter 10, hashing out the same conversation, but guess what? Now James and John bring their mom into it. So now think about this, guys. So think about this. You got James and John, the sons of thunder, bring um, Salome, the mommy of thunder, in to check Jesus about who's going to be there, you know, who's going to be on the right and who's going to be on the left, right? And so we find, we've, he finds ourselves in a place where where, where they come to Jesus, they're asking about who's going to be on the right and be on the left, but yet, as we're going to find out in just a moment, that really, it really has no bearing on, on who they are and what they're doing. And so, which leads to my second point, this. Not only does God want us to suffer in courage, but God wants us to suffer in selflessness. Selflessness. You see, as James and John were aspiring to, to try and um, figure out where they were supposed to be, they were missing the point. You see, they were serving they were trying to serve God in this context of, you know, what can I get from him? What can I get from him rather than what can I give? Now, I want you to understand that this whole, this whole right and left situation, it really is a big deal, all right? They've been arguing about it since the last further chapters. When, when they finally get here, when, John's, when John, James and John's mom gets involved, right, the reality is this. They're arguing even still over between them, between those two, who is the greatest? Let me tell you how I know that. You see, in Jewish standards, there's, this, there's certain ideas of rank, okay? Now, in these ideas of rank, it's assumed that the person who sits on the right side of the ruler is, is the most important person to that person, all right? And so what they were really doing is even between themselves, not just trying to find the seat of honor, but even between the two brothers, like, they're, they're, imagine this. Imagine, they both, imagine two small boys having the same toy, but then arguing over how theirs is more special than the other ones, right? It's like, no, 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 mine has kung fu grip. No, 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 mine's, has, mine's can move into something else, but you have the same toy, right? And so what they're trying to do is even with that establish, hey, I'm better than you. I'm better than you, right? And that's not where they should have been. That's not how they should serve God. And so what they should have been doing is they should have been looking forward. They should have been looking forward and trying to figure out, you know, you know how are we going to be able to help Jesus in this time? You see, because the reality is this. James and John were getting to be entitled. James and John were getting to be entitled, okay? They've been doing some kingdom work, and they think that they're doing just fine, and they can't wait to see the benefits of their efforts. You see, when I first followed Jesus, I thought that, you know, I had a handle on a lot of things. You know, I thought that, you know, I thought I was a fairly nice guy. 
I thought I didn't do a lot of things that would displease Jesus until God started having me to interact with people. Go figure, right? You start interacting with people, you find out you're not perfect, right? And so little by little, you know, thinking, oh, man, I'm ready for this Jesus thing. I'm, I got it down packed. I'm going to be great. Only to figure out I'm a wreck. I'm a mess. I don't have this thing all together, and I'm not getting anything right, right? And so that was the thing that was going to happen to James and John. They were stepping up to the plate and saying, listen, Jesus, we're ready. We're ready to be on your right and your left. And then Jesus tells them, and Jesus gives them a sober reminder. He says, listen, you don't know the cup. He's like, listen, I don't think you understand the cup you're about to drink. And when he refers to the cup, what he's referring to is the fact that he's about to die. He's referring to his suffering and his death. But now, because James and John are eager to be on the right and the left, you know what they say? We're able. We can handle it. We can do it, right? But then, but then Jesus responds again to them in this way. He says in verse 39, he says, And the cup that I drink, you shall drink. And you shall be baptized with baptism in which, I have been, in which I am baptized. But to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give, but this is for those who, has, who it has been prepared for. So what Jesus does is he tries to make a sharp, he tries to shut it down the convo and says this. He says, listen, guys, you know, you say you're ready to drink the cup. Whether you're ready or not, you're going to drink from the cup. Now, if you look, if you look forward into the scripture, you see that what, they meant, what he meant by that is this. James would eventually be the first, one of the first disciples to be martyred, right? John would end up being exiled to the island of Patmos, right? They didn't, but they didn't see that the cup that Jesus was drinking from was going to cost them a little bit more than they thought they would, they would have. You see, when we serve Jesus, we must not do it for the wrong reasons. These men served it for selfish motives. When we serve Jesus, we can't serve him for our own glory. We can't serve him because we enjoy authority. We can't do it because of our personal greatness. You see, instead, we serve him because we know that he's the creator and sustainer of the universe. We serve him because he is worthy of worship. We serve him because he loves us enough to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins and, to, and, to, and do it without complaint. You see, Jesus has found a way to go through the difficult situation with grace and courage and love but we, but, and he's a perfect model of that, but we have to understand what it looks like when we, I mean, when we don't um, suffer, I mean, when we, when we don't suffer um, selflessly. And let me give you an idea of how that works. You see, when James and John were approach, approaching John, I mean, approaching Jesus about this idea of trying to, um, trying to obtain this left and this right seat, God gives them, Jesus gives them sober reminders once again. He gives them, he says, listen, you'll drink from this cup. Meaning you don't understand how bad this is, but it's going to be tough. Number two in verse 40, he tells them, listen, God choose to honor who he wants, and he does the way he wants to. And Jesus does that in different ways for different people. But then also, Jesus wants us to ask the question, not what can I have, but what can I give? A lot of times in our churches, we find ourselves in a place where we're more so worried about what can the church do for me? What can the church do for me? And don't get me wrong, you know, churches are places in the community where we, we serve and we worship God. We want to be able to meet needs. We want to be able to do things that are relevant for the people, right? But if our mindset is only what can the church give me, we're really missing the point of serving Jesus. You see, I serve Jesus because 
He was a perfect sacrifice for me when I didn't understand what that meant. You know, Jesus died for me even without complaining, right? Now, I can't die for y'all because I would complain a lot to, G- to God before I took that bullet or whatever the case may be. But Jesus didn't do that, right? And so I want to be able to serve Jesus. So when that song comes up, man, and I, man, when that song comes on, uh, full disclosure, like when we, when we play, um, I don't know the official name of the song, but it's Jesus, We Love You, that song wrecks my heart. It really does. Because it reminds me of the, just the pure, sheer joy of serving Jesus and just, listen, I love Jesus just for who he is and what he's done. Everything else is just, it's, it's nothing, right? Now, I do things because I love him, but ultimately the, the reason why I preach, teach, and I do anything is because I simply love him. And if you're not down to that point where, listen, you love Jesus for the simple fact that he loves you enough to die for you, there's nothing worth serving for, guys. It's really not even worth serving for. In fact, you will find yourself being disappointed time after time if you're not, if you're not satisfied with the, with the love of Jesus and just doing it because you love him, you will find yourself being dissatisfied at every turn, all right? You don't serve Jesus in these, in, you know, in these certain positions because you think that it's gonna gain you an authority or the position or whatever the case may be. That is gonna fail you, all right? But the love of God in its, in its totality will keep you going forever, even in the times where I want to quit. God's love reminds me that, hey, I didn't quit on you. I didn't stop. When you wanted, when you wanted to stop me, I mean, when, when you wanted to just call it in, you didn't. And so that's the way we have to live. If we can't live in such a way as to say, God, what can I give? Rather than, God, what can I get? Then you're always going to be disappointed. Another thing to ponder in that is this. In James 4.3, it tells us this. You ask and you do not receive because, because you ask amiss. And you may spend it on your and you may spend it on your pleasures. So James gives this gives this idea that listen, some of you, sometimes you ask for these prayers and you're thinking that you're doing it because of you're godly and you have the right motive. Well, sometimes God doesn't give you your prayers because He knows that you're going to waste it on your pleasure. Right? You listen. You ever notice? You ever notice that you know some of us pray, God send me a lot of money, and you ain't got a lot of money yet. <laughs> y- yeah. Just think about that for a minute, okay? You know. You know, maybe you're, you know, maybe you're, um, maybe you're married or something. You go, God, fix my spouse. Maybe you need to be fixed, right? Um, you say to yourself, you know, God, give me the, listen, God, I'm, you know, change me. Well, then God gives you the opportunity to be changed and then you don't take it. You know, we have to listen. We have to make sure that when we pray to God that we're, we're doing it with sincere hearts and sincere desires, right? Because here's the thing. You know, there are times where he just doesn't give it to you because you're not ready, right? You're not ready for it. You say, God, give it to me. Nope, mm-mm. You got to take care of some stuff before you can have this, okay? He will not just give you stuff just because you asked for it. Now, and here's the thing, if he, and if for some reason you did get it, it would be the ruin of you. So you have to be weary of those things, all right? But now my point, but my point with all that is this. Not only do you serve, you serve with courage, you serve selflessly. And why do we do all this? I really already got to the end of my sermon to some degree with that, but let me, let me go ahead and walk you guys down from 40 through 45. Here's what it says. It says, so when Jesus asked this question, and God, thank y'all for, thank y'all for being patient with me. Gosh, this has been tough, honestly. Um, when, when Jesus comes to me, he says, listen, you may want to sit on my right and my left, but listen, you don't know what you're asking. And plus, it's not mine to give. That's the Father, Right. Well, not only that, he says, he, he pulls them all together. He pulls them to himself and he says, listen, 
you know that these who recognize as rulers of Gentiles lord it over them, right? What he's doing is he's speaking to this idea that the world system is different from God's system. The world system basically says, listen, well, you got a lot of people, so you must be great. You must be got people on you. You must be great. Well, God says, listen, we do the opposite. You serve all the people. That makes you great. And that's basically what he's getting down to, right? But then he says, but it's not, and so it's not supposed to be this way among you guys. Whoever wishes to become great shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom. You see, Jesus was going through all the prep work with these guys, teaching them all he could and taking them all the places he could and allowing them to get all this experience because he knew one day he was going to have to suffer and die. And when he suffered and died, he was going to leave behind ministry opportunities for them to do. And he needed not only, and he not only needed their warm bodies, he needed, their, he needed them to be experienced. He needed to be well-rooted. He needed them to be prepared for what they were going to face when he left, right? So the reason why we suffer is not just for suffering's sake. We do it because Jesus did. And here's the thing. Jesus suffered with purpose. Jesus suffered with purpose. You see, Jesus, God has allowed us to go through some things so that we're able to tackle the next phase of our lives. You see, if we're always stuck in one place doing the same thing over and over again and there's no growth and there's no movement, there's no character development, then it's all for nothing. You see, God has to get you ready for the next phase. So have you ever wondered that sometimes maybe you're suffering right now, maybe you're going through some hard times right now because God is getting you ready for something that you're going to need the patience or you're going to need the long suffering. You're going to need the integrity. You're going to need the character to be able to make it to the next part. Amen? And so what it requires is that you have to go through some things. Now, I'm going to tell this last story, and then I'm going to be done. Um, how many of you guys have been whitewater rafting? Okay. Now, I, my first and my last time <laughs> um, going whitewater rafting was when I was part of a college and career group back at my old church. Now, number one, let me, make it, let me give you a couple of, dis a couple of claim disclaimers here. Number one, I really didn't want to go. All right, we had a van full of people who were like, woo, white water rafting. I'm like, oh, I'm, a, I'm a black man who can't swim. I'm pretty big. And I'm like, man, I am batting zero right now. Like, I, don't, I can't swim, so if something happened, I go over. This is it. You know, I'm, I'm going to die in Pigeon Forge, which is not a bad place to die, I guess. If, you know, but, you know, but so I'm looking around. I'm thinking to myself, like, man, I'm scared out of my mind because I've never, I mean, like, I've rode in a boat. I've, I've done kayaking as like a Boy Scout, but not on whitewater rapids moving rapidly down a river. It's been like the calmest, you know, the calmest pond ever, right? So first of all, they have to convince me to actually get in the, in the water raft, right? And so they're having a hard time convincing me. I'm like, uh, I think I just kind of want to be on the dock. Well, then as I look around, I don't see anybody else at the dock. So it's like, so either I'm going to be stuck here for two hours, and keep in mind, this is pre iPhones that have all the apps and you can sit there and just play your heart content, right? This is like, it's Reggie and nature and Jesus standing out there for two hours waiting for the white water rafts to come back and, you know, and do whatever. Well, no, actually I had to meet them downstream, but anyway. Um, long story short, though, they finally, get me, they, they finally convinced me, okay, you know what, I should go, right? And so, you know, after all that convinced, I said, okay, I'm going to go. Well, then secondly, you know, now the question becomes, okay, where are we going to sit? Now, I'm inexperienced, once again, 
big black guy, can't swim, don't need to be in the front. Guess where they put me at? In the front. We have to balance out and get the weight right on the raft. Why, why can't I sit in the back and some other big guy sit in the front? I don't know. But, you know, so I got to do that, right? And so not only that, it's me and my best friend, and our combined weight is like two WWE tag team wrestlers. So this thing is going to be terrible because I'm like, because I just imagine myself sinking with this guy in the front, right? Well, finally, you know, they get my life vest on, and we strike off, right? And I'm thinking, and, I'm in, and keep in mind, I'm guiding in the front. The guy, the guy is in the back. He's like basically guiding the boat to which, you know, making sure that it stays wherever it's supposed to go, right? And so then as we go down the river, he's like, hey, man, you know, we, all right, guys, we're coming to like a, cla you know, category one, class one rapid. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, and that wasn't that bad, right? Well, then later on, it's like, oh, man, we're coming to, uh, you, know, you know, category three. I'm like, oh, oh, that wasn't too bad. Well, then we get to category four, right? And it's like on the rockiest ridge you could possibly imagine. So it's like when the, when the raft tips over, like water is baptizing me all over again, right? So now I'm really rethinking this thing. I want to quit. Like I want them to just pull over somehow to the side. And I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore, right? I don't want to do it anymore. Well, then as we're going down the river, and I promise I'm going somewhere with this story. Just, it's not just for entertainment. I promise I'm going somewhere with this story, okay? As I keep going down the river, not only are we going into category fours, but then the wind start whipping around. Well, then the wind introduces a whole other element, right? Well, once again, me and my friend, two big black guys, can't swim, stand in the front, getting splashed with water, we're soaking wet. Well, as the wind is whipping, some water, like a fly gets in my, friend, my best friend's mouth. He's sitting right next to me. Well, he decides, he, he says, oh my God, it's, it's a bug in my mouth. Well, he spits off to this side and the wind brings the spit around and hits me dead in the face. So now I'm like, all right, it's quitting time. I just, I just ate my, my best friend's spit somehow, and we didn't kiss or nothing like that. It was, just, it was just the spit just came out, right? And I got this guy spit in my mouth, but guess what? We're on a class four rapid, so I can't stop rolling because I got spit running down here, and I got to keep going because if I don't, we're going to die, right? I'm a black man who can't swim, so we have to keep going, right? Well, then finally, after all the rough and rapids and everything happens, we get to the end, and it's on the Tennessee-North Carolina border. We get to the end. You know, I don't think I've ever worshipped Jesus hard enough <laughs> because we made it. And then finally, when they asked me about the experience, you know, my, my pastor, Carl, who y'all saw preach at the, um, at the, at the um, what you call, the ordination, he says, so how was it? Now, everything in me was like, oh, my God, this is terrible. I will never do this again. But because of the rush and because of the challenge and because at the end I was still alive, I said, that wasn't that bad. But now here's the thing, guys. I had to have the courage to get into the raft to experience that. Not only that, guys, I had to not only do that, I know the hope. So here's the thing, my fear is telling me this is gonna end bad, I'm gonna die, something's gonna happen, right? But yet the courage in me is like, but why not? This is the one time, and keep in mind, it's only the one time I've been, I just wanna make sure that's clear, that I've been, and it was great, guys. And guess what it did? It did something for me I would have never counted on. It gave me the courage to be able to try new things. Let me tell you something, guys. If Jesus didn't have me in that whitewater raft almost two decades ago, I wouldn't have shown up in Jackson. Let me tell you that. My, my personality, safe. Don't rock the boat. Not a lot of change. 
right? But because of that experience, because even though I'm, I was definitely afraid of plane before I flew my first one, I was scared that we were going to get hit by, you know, a Taliban bomb or something during, like, after 9-11 or whatever, I went to Africa. And guess what? It changed my life. But here's the thing, guys. I had to, number one, find the courage. Number two, number two, guys, I had to stop thinking about all my fears and what I wanted to do, and I had to go along with Jesus. The boat was going down the river. All my friends were going down the river. I had to have, be selfless enough to say, you know what, I'm going too. And here's the thing, it not only got me prepared for life, but like hours later, I went bungee jumping. <laughs> so, so, so you can stand now, you can stand. So what am I saying, guys? There are a lot of things that can keep you from serving Jesus. And when people think about suffering, that is something that nobody wants to think about, right? If a, if a church simply preached, you know what, you're going to suffer, right? Pews empty, right? There are a few churches right now, if they had a surf in the sermon right now, half the congregation, well, no, most of the congregation would probably be gone, right? But now here's the reality, guys. If you're a believer, you have to suffer somehow. If you want to be identified with Christ, you got to be identified with his suffering. They go hand in hand. Jesus tells you, listen, you want to be a part of me, right? You got to be a part of what I've been through. Peter even tells us, right, if we, if we suffer, if generally says, listen, if we suffer, we're going to reign with Jesus. Amen? We want to be a part of what God is doing. But here's the thing. You can't be a part of what God is doing unless you suffer. You got to go through the hard stuff, Right? There is nothing in life that is worth doing that is not hard, right? Changing jobs, hard, maybe the best decision you ever make. Deciding to trust somebody, hard, but maybe the best decision you ever make. Seeing a Savior who, who died for you and decided to, to, to basically give his life so that you could have life. Is it hard? It's hard with our hearts, but oh, is it so worth it? And so you have to learn, guys, that suffering, it happens. But compared to eternity, it's but a little while. It's but a little while. And listen, if you are going to follow him, follow him with reckless abandon. Don't follow him with a careful, detailed plan of which step you think you're going to take. Listen, Jesus, just, just come with me. Look, think about this. When he went and got the disciples, they were out there fishing, right? He just said, come on. They couldn't say, well, but I got my family and my boat is not tied. And no, he just, just come on, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And guess what they did? They dropped their stuff and they walked away. And listen, did they know all that they were getting into when they went? No, they didn't. They couldn't have known, right? But now I bet if you go, I bet when you meet them in heaven, I bet they will say it was worth every moment. Some of you have not accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. Some of you are scared. Some of you have fears. You have anxieties about what that means for you, what you have to stop doing, what you have to sacrifice. But let me, let me assure you, it's well worth it. You have a Savior who loves you so much that, listen, he didn't just see you with your bad life and just say, listen, keep living your bad life. He says, listen, bring it here. Trade with me. I dare you to, I dare you to follow after me and see, taste and see how good I am. And if you learn to live your life like that, when you learn to let go of the fear, when you learn to let go of all the conflict and all those other things that keep you from following him, you will find that life with him 
is better than life without him. Dear Lord, thank you for this time I've had. God, it was a rocky road, but God, I thank you for getting me through. Lord, I pray that, God, as we suffer, as we go through all the sufferings that we do, God, that we would come to love you, that we would come to know you fervently, that we would come to have a passion for you, God, and that we would selflessly, God, we would find courage in ourselves, God, but more than anything, God, we would do it with a self, with a, um, in a way that's not um, selfish, God. God, we want to be able to follow you. God, we want to be able to know that the purpose that we have for you, God, is greater than anything we've ever experienced. And so, God, I pray that if there is anyone, God, who does not know who you are, God, who has not accepted you as Lord and Savior, God, I pray that you would allow them to let go, God, that you're working on their hearts, that you're moving them, God, towards the front, that you, God, that you're making their hearts ready to receive your salvation. Because number one, God, for us to understand who you are, God, we are going to understand who we're not. We are not perfect. We are sinners who fall short of God's glory. But God, we know that because you are the creators to say in the universe, God, you set, a, you set a scenario in place, God, where even though we fall short, God, you, you, the God of the universe, came down, put on flesh, invaded our creation, and gave us a reason to live. And God, if we trust and know, God, that not only are you real, that you came to this earth, that you came to sacrifice yourself in the form of Jesus, and only that, God, that you, that, you, that you were betrayed, God, that you were delivered up, that you died, God, but you rose again. God, you did it to give us life. And God, let no one be the same, God, from hearing this message. Let everyone who understands this voice, God, understand and know that healing, that the, the letting go of fear is deep within you, God. You said when there is love, it casts out fear. Let our anxieties be put away. Let our love for you grow more. You are love. You've shown yourself. Let us show ourselves at this altar, God. Help us to come give ourselves to you, showing courage, being selfless, and, have, and allowing you to give us purpose. In Jesus, amen.